0: Uh, Preaching the gospel for a long time. He was a lawyer for many years, and then the Lord crushed him and uh, showed him what his true calling was. And he is one of the best teachers I know, I've ever heard. He is more like Christ than most people I know, and I can't think of a better person to help share what it means for Christ to come to the earth. What that was all about, than Mark Coppersmith. So let's welcome Mark to the pulpit this morning.
1: It's good to be loved. At my age, it's really good to be loved. It's also good to be loved by people outside the church who, uh, you know, hang out at the gym, maybe. And we got a bunch of guys we meet at the gym. And we're kind of old. We're not really at the gym to improve our bodies. We're there to talk. We mostly, we mostly just talk to one another a lot. And um, Steve and Jeff are here from the gym today. And S- Steve gave me this little Thanksgiving turkey. I, does it mean I should be giving thanks or that I'm a turkey? I'm not sure, but... He said you can give it to some kid if you want to, but you know what? I'm not going to, Steve. I'm going to keep this at home and I'm going to put it in the living room. And every time I see it, it's going to remind me to give thanks. Giving thanks is, is a lifestyle. So thank you so much for your thought. I know you wanted to humiliate me here today, but it didn't work. We found a way to redeem the turkey. Okay, well... After that introduction, I'd rather not be speaking because all I can do is go downhill. Thanks, John. That was really helpful. You've boosted my confidence. Well, John said, uh, why don't you speak on the incarnation? And I've been thinking about it for the last two weeks. And this is not going to be the normal normal Christmas message. We're going to take a slightly different tack on this. But it's maybe not a twist on Christmas that you've heard before. So I'm hoping that it'll be new and it'll be thought-provoking. The Jewish, uh, first of all, the message is called the Christmas paradox. Paradox is two, two events or two statements which are linked and they appear to be contradictory to one another. And yet, in some they, they violate common sense, but they are in fact related. They do make sense with one another. And I'm looking at a paradox in our, in our Christmas, in the way Jesus came to the earth, in the incarnation. And I think it's got a lot of significance for us. So let's just start out with a little background. The Jewish rabbis, all through Jewish history and up to the time of Christ, had two very different views of the coming of the King of the Jews. The first was the most common, and it's the one we're uh, aware of most of the time, what we see as their mindset, it's also the most popular. This is the predominant view that uh, Judaism had prior to Jesus' coming. And it was the coming of a king who would restore the glory of the kingdom of David. It would end the Roman rule. The Messiah would rule over the earth in a physical, religious, and uh, in part secular kingdom. In other words, it would be a theocracy God would come, establish a physical, political system, economics, the works, and that would, that would not just restore the kingdom of David, it would eclipse the, the glory of the kingdom of David. And this is what they were expecting. He would come with overwhelming power, and he would end the rule of sinful human kings and governments. And his coming would be obvious, And glorious. If you're going to come to be that kind of king, your coming better be obvious and glorious. Well, there was another tradition which was based on Isaiah 53, and they called it the tradition of the suffering Messiah. Let's just take a look at a small portion of Isaiah 53. This is Isaiah looking forward to the coming of the Messiah, and he says, This he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. There was nothing, there was nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and he was rejected by mankind. He was a man of suffering, familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised And we held him in low esteem. See, the Jewish rabbis could not dismiss Isaiah 53. First of all, Isaiah is one of the greatest prophets that ever lived and spoke. And here he is clearly prophesying this kind of coming Messiah. So what they did was they had their two theories. They had the popular theory, which is, of course, what everyone wants. That God will come and fix everything. That he will establish a perfect kingdom that it will be glorious, that He will be majestic, that He will be powerful. And that's the one they longed for. That's the one they talked about most. And isn't that human nature, people? Isn't that what we want? A God will come who will solve our problems, who will lift us out of oppression, who will fix our circumstances. And yet at the same time, there's this tradition of this Messiah who has nothing about Him that draws attention to Himself. Nothing about him that makes us want to follow him. Nothing about him that's particularly special. In fact, our reaction to him was to despise him, to consider him of little value, to ignore him. And here they have this, this tradition which they don't want to embrace because it isn't everything that they want that fixes their circumstances. It's completely different. They were in competition with one another, these, the, these two theories in, in, in Jewish theology. The suffering Messiah was not popular, but it was there. In that tradition of the suffering Messiah, he comes in hiddenness and he comes in obscurity. He doesn't appear as a conquering king. He comes to save the people from their sins by dying for them. And it's the ultimate humiliation that a Messiah would have to come and die for people's sins. So, in order to reconcile these two traditions, they decided there must be two Messiahs. One is going to come to restore the kingdom and the other is going to come to die for their sins. It never crossed their mind that there might be one Messiah who comes twice. And you can see how that logic wouldn't... How can, how can the first one, or even the... It doesn't matter which is first or second. How can one of them come in great glory and overwhelming power, irresistible in his strength and his rule and reign? And how can the other one come in a way that's completely obscure and hidden and all he's, all he's doing is dying for people's sins? How could that possibly be the same God? A conundrum. It's a paradox. Christmas is the celebration of the coming of the suffering Messiah. And he's coming to establish a spiritual kingdom. And this explains the strangeness of Jesus' birth. He is the King of all creation, he is the Creator. Come in human form but he comes in utter humility and obscurity you know the story he's born in a backwater town something like Ramona his mother his mother is an unwed teenage mother I I'm sorry I just I can't that's
0: I can't go unprovoked I would have you know, Mr. Turkey Lover, that Ramona, claim to fame, was the turkey capital of the world. I, uh,
1: I, I stand utterly and completely corrected. He came to a backwater town like Escondido. That's where I live. His mother's an unwed teenager. His father's a blue-collar worker. No one knows he's coming, but a few shocked shepherds who saw angels in the sky singing. No one took them seriously except Mary. Three wise men from a foreign country studied the Scriptures looking for the coming of the Messiah. They came and they worshipped Him, but they are gone and we never hear from them again. And he grows up as an ordinary child. And listen, the professional experts, the guys who lived to identify the Messiah. There was one guy back then who lived, whose sole purpose was to live to identify the Messiah. Who was it? It was John, Jesus' cousin. John sat at the kids' table with Jesus. Jesus. Grew up in parochial school with Jesus. They're only a few months apart. John's sole purpose was to identify the Messiah. He couldn't identify Jesus as the Messiah until the Spirit of God spoke from the sky and said, this is Him. This is the Savior of the world. And then John got it. There was nothing about Jesus to draw attention to Himself. The professional religionists, the Pharisees that knew all about holiness, that knew all about Isaiah 53 that knew all about all the prophecies. They they educated him in Judaism and they didn't recognize who was there. He was completely overlooked. There's nothing special about him. And only his mother really believes who he is and she's not talking. Now all of this raises a really important question. Is this any way for the creator of the universe to enter his creation? Why the obscurity and the hiddenness? Why not come with the display of majesty and power that befits the creator of all things? Why did he choose to come this way? It doesn't make much sense. As I was thinking about this Another question came to my mind. Maybe, maybe I can answer this question. Why he came in this obscure, humble, hidden way. By asking another question. And this is the question I asked. Well, how did Jesus come into my life? You see... We call it the incarnation because he came down to live as a hum, human being amongst humans. But you know what? The incarnation happens in every one of our lives when he comes by his spirit and lives within us. It's exactly the same thing. Heaven is coming down to live in humanity. He enters humanity as a human, but he also comes and enters into each one of us. And that's an incarnation, people. You're a container of the creator of the universe. The Messiah lives within you, His spirit is there. So I asked myself, how did He come into my life? He didn't. I went looking for Him. He didn't force His way into my life. I had to get sick of myself, I had to come to devalue my life before I found Him. I was a successful and empty lawyer. My life lacked any sense of meaning or purpose beyond making money and pleasure, which wasn't enough. And I went looking for meaning and purpose and I ran into him. He didn't announce himself. In fact, he was the last alternative that I tried. Believe me, I tried everything else. When I went looking for meaning and purpose, the one thing I did not want to be was a Christian. Because I'd grown up in a a, a legalistic, hypocritical, pharisaical church that caused me to despise and hate church and Christians. I used to enjoy humiliating Christians at every possible opportunity. Seriously, really did. I hated them. The idea of becoming one was absolutely absurd to me. But when you try everything else and nothing works and you, remember the, and you remember the words of your grandmother who's the most godly person I ever knew and she said to me, Mark, if your life is ever going to have any purpose you have to come to peace with God. Years later, I couldn't get that out of my head. What she said just kept repeating itself to me. So I decided, okay, I've tried everything else I'll... I'll look into the faith. I'll look into Christianity and see, see if there's anything there. And when I gave myself to Him and invited Him into my heart, there was no experience of His majesty and there was no experience of power. All there was, was peace. Believe me, that's enough. And most of the people I've talked to about how they came to know Him, they tell a similar sort of story. For most of them, their introduction to Him was gentle and subtle. Often it was through another person. Most of the time, Jesus' coming to live within a human being is much like His coming into the world without an overwhelming display of His majesty or power or beauty. He usually comes to us as the suffering Messiah, the one who died for our sins. And later, we keep an open mind, we discover his power and his majesty and his beauty. See, there's a real similarity between how he entered the world and how he enters our hearts. And I'm asking the question, is this by design? And if it's by design, why? Why? Why did he choose this? What's he trying to accomplish? Because it kind of makes him hard to find, doesn't it? Well, I think it's got to do with our freedom. See, our freedom of choice is his most sacred gift to us. It's what makes us human. You know, think of your pets. Think of your dog. Think of your cat. Your dog or cat never gets up in the morning and says... Today I think I'll go against the creator of the universe. The cat says I'll be a dog and the dog says I'll be a cat. They're incapable of denying his plan for them. But we can deny his plan for us every minute of every day and all of our lives if we choose to. We have the ability. We're the one thing in creation that has the ability to say no to the creator. But that freedom our biggest problem, but it's also what makes us human. It sets us above the rest of the animals. God respects our individuality and freedom, listen, enough to risk losing us by not overwhelming our truest desires with His desires for relationship with us. I want to say that again. This is, this is really important. God respects your individuality and your freedom Enough to risk losing you by not overwhelming you, not overwhelming your truest desires, your deepest desires, with His desires for a relationship with you. Man. God really respects who you are. And for now... Until he returns as the Messiah to establish his perfect rule and reign, for now, he will not use power or force to cause us to accept him. He will not act against our wills. The day's coming when he's going to come in overwhelming power and majesty. Every knee is going to bow, every knee. That's a promise in His Word. When He returns in His power and His glory, every knee is going to bow. But that day has not come. Why? What's so important about our freedom? Years ago, I read a quote by Blaise Pascal. He was a French French philosopher. And uh, later, <laughs> he died before he was 30. But... And between his 20s and his 30s, he he found God. And he became a Christian. And here's how he explained it. And it's one of the best explanations I've ever heard of why Jesus came the way he came. And he said this. Let's just say Jesus. If Jesus had wished to overcome the obstinacy of the most hardened, He could have done so by revealing himself to them so plainly that they could not doubt the truth of his essence, as he will appear on the last day with such thunder and lightning and such convulsions of nature that the dead will rise and the blindest will see him. But this is not the way he wished to appear when he came in mildness. It was therefore not right that he should appear in a manner manifestly divine and absolutely capable of convincing all men. But neither was it right that his coming should be so hidden that he could not be recognized by those who sincerely sought him. He wished to make himself perfectly recognizable to them, thus wishing to appear Openly to those who seek him with all their heart. And hidden from those who shun him with all their heart. He has limited our knowledge of him. By giving us signs which can be seen by those who seek him. And not by those who do not. There is enough light for those who desire to see. And enough darkness for those of a contrary disposition. God. Oh Lord. That right there is brilliant. That right there rocks my world. That right there is a perfect summation of how God walks the line between His sovereignty and our freedom. And how careful He is to maintain your freedom Now, I don't know about you, but this creates a great problem for me. When I was a young, younger Christian, I looked at all the mess in my life, the habitual ways I would mistreat people, my overwhelming selfishness and self-centeredness, and I would call out to him and I would beg him and I would say, change me right now. Just come on in and force it. Just come on in and force me to be different. Just, just, ch- just, just change me right now. And I sincerely meant it, and he never answered that prayer. Not once. I got frustrated with him. Come on, change me. Make me into a different person. I think the fact that he didn't speaks volumes. It's like he was saying, Mark, that's not how I work. I lead you by influence. I don't lead you by force. Hey, what's this mean for us? This Christmas thing, this born in Ramona. Escondido. Listen, it means this. Just like he came as a vulnerable baby that needed to be fed, clothed, and protected, so he comes within us in the same way. Even once His Spirit is living within us, He does not force His will upon us. His presence within us must be nurtured. Our relationship with Him living within us is as fragile in terms of its growth and fulfillment as the baby Jesus coming into that manger and being, being absolutely dependent upon the love and nurture Of his parents. Our relationship with him needs care and attention. If we ignore the relationship. He'll remain an infant within us. And we will not come to see his power and his majesty. Nor will we become all we can be in him. We too will remain spiritual infants. And here's another interesting parallel. Just after Jesus' birth. King Herod decides to kill him. Because three wise men had told him that the king of the Jews was to be born and Joseph and Mary had to flee to Egypt to protect the baby Jesus. Just like Jesus had a powerful enemy who set out to kill him, each of us has a powerful enemy who is intent on separating us from our relationship with the Spirit of God that's living within us. Right? Right? He does this through distraction and temptation to sin. He does this through the false gods and idols that our culture promotes. Our entertainment, our pleasure, our money, etc. He does this through false friends who seek to draw us away from God. And just like Joseph and Mary had to flee from Herod, so we have to flee from those things that desire to distract us from our relationship with God. Because he refuses to overwhelm your will, he could. Of course, he could because He refuses to do that out of His respect for your individuality and your freedom, you must believe He's fragile within you. Your relationship with Him takes nurture. It takes care. It takes feeding. Christmas is a reminder to us of our freedom to choose what kind of life we'll have with God. It's a reminder to seek Him daily with the same intensity as the three wise men sought Him. And it's a reminder of the enemy and his strategies to distract us from our true love. Now, here's the question If your relationship with God started as a baby, how healthy? And mature is it today? Is it an infant? Is it a toddler? Is it a middle school student? Is it a teenager? Is it a young adult? Is it a mature adult? How much nurture and attention does he get from you? What stands in the way of protecting and nurturing the life of God within you? It's not the Christmas message you expected. The Christmas... It's the, it's the Christmas spanking. Well, like, a guy, a guys, here's the deal, okay? I can't... I can't stand... posturing and... BS. So I thought for a few minutes whether to use that, but... Was considered, it was intentional. It's like this. It's like this, guys. We have these things. We have Easter. We have Christmas. We have these things. And we sentimentalize them. We turn them into a happy feeling. Well, the point is to be happy. That's all there is. Just be happy. Just turn it into a happy season. It is a happy season, but we should understand what it really means. And believe me, it's challenging. Do you know that when the baby Jesus came into the world, it cost thousands of other children their lives? He doesn't come without cost. Jesus demands a reaction from you. Not because he's screaming at you, just because he is who he is. He, is a, he, he confronts us at the deepest levels of absolutely everything we value. And in that moment, all he's saying to us is, do I matter more than that thing? He's constant. His goodness is a challenge to us. His existence is a challenge to us. Christmas is a challenge to us. And I just can't... I can't get caught up in fake sentimentality misleading dishonoring to the truth he's the humble king he deserves to be treated like the, the king even though he's humble his existence makes his existence makes a demand upon us to respond to him wholeheartedly give him everything we can nurture the relationship within. So after the spanking, we're going to get even worse. We're going to actually apply this thing. We're going to ask the question, how old is the baby within? Is he growing up? Where's he at? What does he need to continue growing up inside of us? And what's the enemy's tactic? Herod's still alive, okay, in each of us. He's still trying to kill the baby. What stands in the way? What's the enemy's tactic in your life to keep you from the fullness of his life inside of you? So let's just close our eyes and ask God that question, see what he says. Holy Spirit Holy Spirit I hear I hear this message I think for myself just as clearly just as clearly as everybody else in this room And I'm asking you the question what is it in my life that stands in the way of you growing to completion inside of me complete maturity this side of heaven what is it in me that stands in the way what do I have to flee from what do I need to say yes to what do I need to say no to Holy Spirit I ask you to speak to each one of us you've already spoken to me thank you I ask you to speak to each one of us. What is it that needs to be discouraged or encouraged? What do I say yes to and what do I say no to? Please reveal that to each one of us right now, Lord. Did he show you something? Did he speak something to you? If he did, just put your hand up. Let's see what happened today. Thank you, Lord. John, I can't think of an application other than what we just did.
0: If you're here for the first time, what you will not get here is religion. Mark and I both, separately obviously, grew up in religion, and we want nothing to do with it. It's a form of a relationship with God, it's all external. And for you, man, growing up in a legalistic church is murder, it's spiritual
1: death. Just about, almost was.
0: Better not to have than to have that. Yeah. This is a church of grace. I have a t-shirt I wear periodically called No Perfect People Allowed. It's a farce. We all are sinners who have come to Christ who has made us sons and daughters of God. and It was a gift. That's why he says, love one another the way I've loved you. You need to look in the mirror and love yourself the way Christ loves you. And all your imperfections and warts. And then come to him with all your imperfections and warts and say, here I am. You made me. This is your fault. You know. So here I am. And today you're here. You've never given your life to Christ before. You didn't know it was a free gift. I recently led a lady to the Lord up at Supercuts in Ramona. She had never heard the message. She grew up in religion. Never heard the message that she was supposed to come to God just as she was. She said, well, I smoke and cuss. And I said, well, come with your smoking and cussing. And she said, I've never heard this message before. She got saved right there. And then she let her, brought her husband to our home. We told him the same message that he got saved. Now they're going to church and, and, uh, and where they live, which is quite far from here. The other direction. Believe it or not, there's a town farther than Ramona, Mark. And uh, <laughs> leading their friends to Christ. It's the message of grace. And if you've never heard that before, I'm going to call the prayer teams down in just a moment. And you just come down and say, I'm ready to receive Jesus. He'll pray with you. He'll forgive you of your sins. You'll feel his peace for the first time in your life. And you'll wish you had prayed that prayer a long time ago. Will you all stand with me this morning here? What a wonderful day in God's presence. What a wonderful day with each other in the house of God nobody here is trying to impress anybody or prove anything to anybody. We're just all here by the grace of God and it's a great place to be. I'm going to ask the prayer teams to come down. Those that have come to, been coming to pre-service prayer and you're filled with the spirit and filled with faith, you come down as well. They're down here not only to pray with you if you want to come to Jesus, but we believe that the same Messiah that came the first time who cleansed the lepers healed the sick and even raised the dead is still doing miracles whenever his people come together Jesus said if two of you on earth we on earth agree in prayer and ask my father anything my father will do it and of course that means within his will salvation healing and deliverance are in God's will all the time So these guys are ready to pray with you. So if that's you, as Josh leads us in this last song of worship, you slip out of your seat, you come down front, and these prayer teams are going to pray with you. And let Christ meet you in these little power centers of prayers of agreement.